0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland, and I'm Lauren Vogelbaum, and we are going to conclude our mega epic series on AT and T, the the uh, company that uh, that could because it was the only one that could.
0: Huh. And uh, which the government had something to say about several times.
1: Yeah. So in our last episode, we concluded with uh, uh, 1982, which was the end of the jurisdiction between the Department of Justice and AT&T. Uh, the ruling was that AT&T had to divest itself of the regional operating carriers, the Bell companies that mm-hmm. had. So, so, uh,
0: so, so that was, that was when Ma Bell split into several baby bells.
1: Yeah, uh, they were all, uh, I think there was something like seven regional, major regional operating carriers and, uh, AT&T, the, the deal was that AT&T was getting out of the local telephone business and mm-hmm. concentrating solely on Uh, on providing service for a long distance, as well as getting into the burgeoning computer industry.
0: Right, which would be very important or will be very important for this current episode that we are about to embark upon. Yes,
1: this is a I titled this in my notes as part three, getting to the bit that we're in now. (laughs) Because I'm great at titles. So that brings us up to 1983 when AT&T opens the first commercial cellular telephone system in the telephone system. That was an interesting emphasis on that syllable in the United States in Chicago under Ameritech, which was soon to be divested from AT&T, according to those rules that we talked about laid down in the 1982 settlement of the antitrust lawsuit. But at that time, Ameritech was still under AT&T because, again, it takes time to actually – Uh, act upon these, these judgments. So here we have the first cellular telephone system for commercial use. And, uh, yeah, the cellular approach was, uh, something that really made mobile telephones possible. Because if you remember from our last episode, AT&T had created mobile phones, but they would connect to a specific radio antenna and you had to be within range to use it. And if you moved out of range, that was it. Your call would just end. Um Cellular telephones had a bunch of towers that would allow you to move within and out of range of various towers. There was kind of a handshake, an electronic handshake involved, where you would continue to get service even as you moved out of one tower's uh, operating area into another.
0: And all of this technology was thanks to advancements that came out of AT and T Labs. Basically, the, it's it's that that handshake that Jonathan is is talking about. You know, lets lets the cells automatically transfer a call from one tower to the next right. as as a, a caller moves through them and. Yep, that came out of what was formerly, or I guess currently at that very moment, still Bell Labs, but would very soon become AT&T Labs.
1: Yeah, so it's, um, one of those, one of those crazy developments that gives us the ability to use technology the way we do today. Just imagine if we had not come up with that, if AT&T had not come up with it, and let's say that, you know, it had been delayed several years, we'd be in a very different world right now. So it was pretty amazing stuff. That, that same year, a uh, researcher at AT AT&T named Bjorn Stroustrup, which I'm sure I mispronounced his name terribly. I did
0: not look it up. I didn't even write his name in my notes because I was unwilling he, to try to pronounce it. So um, he, he debuted C++ yeah, that year. Yeah.
1: It, was, uh, it was so much better than C, it got two pluses. But yeah, C++ is an object-oriented programming language that came out of the Bell Labs Development Laboratory, so... Uh, that's a little more redundant. And January 1st, 1984. It's early, y'all. So on January 1st, 1984, that's when Bell system ceases to be.
0: Yes, this is the official end of everything that that needed to end, according to those agreements from 1982.
1: Right. So now we've gotten to the point where AT&T is divested of those other companies and is its own entity, uh, it retains long distance operations as well as the R&D labs and manufacturing. So all of that belongs under the umbrella of AT&T. And then all that local service is handled by those seven divested regional bell Baby operating bells. companies. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, that year equal access carrier selection begins, which is a ruling by the FCC said that all telephone customers should be given a choice as to which long distance company they would use when dialing long distance numbers. So, uh, that, you know, now, the regional operating companies, even though they used to be part of AT&T, could not give AT&T preferential treatment. They could not say this is the company that you have to use if you're going to make long distance. They had to give you open access to all competitors. So AT&T at that time also begins to lower long distance rates. Um, and they said that they said that it was improvements in their infrastructure that lowered costs and that allowed them to lower The rates.
0: Uh, really what I think was happening was that because they had, I mean, AT&T went from having nearly 150 billion in assets before the breakup to 34 billion, uh, after, after this Ma Bell to Baby Bell breakup, which is a 77% drop in asset value, which is pretty alarming when you're a giant company. Um, And so so competitors at the time, like Sprint and MCI were pricing to undersell AT&T pretty seriously. You, You guys might remember some of the commercials that were coming out around that time of just the crazy backbiting price war stuff yeah, that was yeah. going on.
1: And remember, you know, MCI was the, the company that had led the charge against AT&T back in the seventies that eventually evolved into that antitrust lawsuit. So this is a, you know, AT&T said that it's because of improvements in service. But in reality, I think we can say that this was so that they could remain competitive now that it was more of a level playing ground in the long distance space. And uh, if they didn't lower their prices, then they had a real risk of losing their customers.
0: Oh right, the you know these these two competitors and and others as well would would take huge gnawing bites out of AT and T over the next several years. But um, but AT and T nonetheless would see a six hundred and twenty percent increase in long distance calling between now and now being nineteen eighty four over the next fifteen years. Wow. So, you know, long distance was still a very major thing because wireless didn't. Exist. Very yeah, much we hadn't yet. really
1: moved on to a post long distance world. I can't remember the last time I was charged for a long distance call that wasn't, say, an international call.
0: Uh, uh, it was about 2001 for me.
1: Wow. So did everyone just move near you, or was that when things changed?
0: That's when I got a cell phone.
1: Oh, gotcha. All right, yeah, that's about when I did too. I'm sure. I mean, maybe a little earlier. It's hard for me to remember. Years go by so quickly. <laughs> All right. So between 1984 and 1988, nothing happened. <laughs> Actually, I just didn't find anything that I thought was... Uh, stuff happened. I just didn't find anything I found particularly noteworthy to add in my notes. Me neither. So let's go to 1988. Excellent. That's when AT&T lays down the TAT-8, the T-A-T-8, which was a another transatlantic telephone cable.
0: This one uh, made of fiber optics.
1: Yeah. So uh, across the Atlantic, obviously. And could carry 10 times the number of calls the earlier copper cable could handle. Uh, now remember, the originally we were talking about, you know, copper cable able to handle 30 or 40 calls at most. The earliest one's only able to handle one One. at a time. Mm Uh, by this time, so you think, oh, 10 times the number. Why is it like, so it's a hundred calls? No, by this time they had improved the technology significantly. We're talking 40,000 simultaneous calls. So. When uh, all of your buddies want to call all of, uh, uh, you know, each other across the pond, this is what makes it possible mm-hmm. without getting a uh, signal saying, sorry, all lines are busy.
0: Uh, in 1989, AT&T Labs began working on HDTV, um, specifically on the kind of high-speed signal processing problems that arise when a computer needs to, you know, receive, decode, and display a large amount of data in real time.
1: This is pretty impressive for those of you who are hdtv enthusiasts here in the united states hdtv had a fairly late start it got an earlier start in japan uh and it took a while for there to be an agreed upon set of standards guiding hdtv because obviously you need to be able to have all the different players involved working on those same set of standards. The the delivery of the the quality of the signal needs to be correct. The manufacturers need to be working on a similar approach. So uh, this was very early on, Then AT&T was looking at this as saying, this is going to be a thing. It's not a thing now. It's probably not going to be a thing for maybe 10 years, but we need to work on it now.
0: It would also turn out to be pretty forward-thinking for them because uh, they would wind up getting pretty seriously into the cable industry in just another few years. Right,
1: forward-thinking, man. So for some reason, I love that phrase. Uh, Bell Labs also was working at that time on a speech actuated manipulator, also known as SAM.
0: Oh right, yeah, and th- that would that would become kind of important in another couple of years as well.
1: Yeah, it's kind of neat. This was like an early approach to trying to create a robot that could respond to natural language commands, so things like "turn left" or "lower your arm," that kind of thing. Uh, and it was just really the early days, sort of a proof of concept to create robots that could do this also meant that they were working very hard on improving just natural language recognition, which right. is that's incredibly difficult. It's hard yeah. to teach a computer that, you know, we can say the same command a hundred different ways for the computer to be able to interpret all 100 of those variations as a single command and differentiate it from every other command is Phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Especially in English, which is pretty messy in really wonderful ways. Yeah. When we
1: start adding me. an idiom, that's really <laughs> like, like wave it around like you just don't care. That <laughs> robot is going to have some trouble. <laughs> First of all, it doesn't care. Robots don't care. They don't care. They don't. That robot they can be programmed
0: love you. to pretend to care. Yeah.
1: That's about as good as we can get. I mean, that's a yeah, you know, I've known some people that way, too. So I'm not going oh, oh, to speak down to robots too much. OK. Um, now, moving on to 1991, that's when AT&T acquired NCR Corporation, which is a computer manufacturing company.
0: Uh, I think with this, they were really hoping to start hopping that, that software hardware divide, or, or I guess it's the, the networking hardware divide yeah. more so. They, again, were looking forward to, to.
1: Yeah, to really getting in that business. I mean, that, that was one of the things that they were allowed to do now after that 1982 judgment. Uh, and this was kind of a, a real serious move into that space. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1992, they unveiled the Voice English Spanish Translator, or VEST, which was first developed back in 1989, but it was first unveiled in, in 92.
0: So they're still working on those improvements to yeah. voice technology. It
1: could recognize about 450 words and around a billion different combinations. And the way it would work is that you would speak into the microphone the software would first attempt to identify what language you are speaking, either English or Spanish. At that point, when it had identified the language, it would then translate what you were saying into the other language, so English to Spanish or Spanish to English, via text. What it would do is break down your sentences into little basic component parts and then translate those component parts, which anyone who's done any translation knows is not a you know, foolproof way of translating, because sometimes if you no, break a sentence down, can, yeah,
0: can involve multiple parts of a sentence, again, especially in English, where your word order is not perhaps as structured as it might be in other languages.
1: I mean, I would love to see this in action yeah. just because uh, it 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 again is tackling one of those fundamentally difficult problems for human computer interaction. Uh, in 1993, AT&T merged with Macaw Cellular Communications Incorporated, which at that time was the largest provider of cellular service in the United States. So that acquisition eventually means that the, the entity that was Macaw Cellular Communications becomes uh, AT&T Wireless, along with uh, another company we'll mention in a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: um, uh, that same year, AT&T also introduced the Model 70 video phone.
0: Yeah, that was kind of a video teleconferencing hardware. And, you know, that they had had such rousing lack of success with their picture phone yeah. <laughs> that, that I, but, but, but they realized that people were more willing to do this A in a work environment and B on a computer than they were on, uh, on a phone.
1: Yeah. So this was allowing simultaneous video, uh, uh transmission so that it, it kind of, Predecessor to the video software we use today for things like Skype or other uh, Google Hangouts, those kind of video hangout things. It also would allow some limited use of uh, letting, like, the person who's calling you uh, manipulate files. So you can open the files within it and have – so it's kind of like a a video conferencing system Mm -hmm. very early on. So pretty impressive considering –
0: For 1993.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, that's – we're still talking like this is still the very early days of the World Wide Web. Keep in mind, you know, that that really hadn't even launched till 92. So seeing some video communication stuff in 93 was exciting. You know, I can remember the first time I ever saw any kind of video communication. I remember exactly what I was doing.
0: What what were you doing?
1: I was at the Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow or Epcot, as it is called uh, now. It's no longer known as its full name. Uh, so they used to have these. Consoles mounted on columns where you could walk up to the console. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. A little touchscreen interface. You press a button and then you would get greeted by a cast member who would ask what you what you needed, and you could ask them anything that had to do with the parks. Eventually, you could do things like even make uh, uh, dining reservations that way. You could say, uh, "I would like to eat at Mexico at noon," and they would they would make that Mexico being the pavilion. In the world showcase. They wouldn't actually ship you to Mexico. Teleport
0: you to, no.
1: No, we still don't have that technology. I'm waiting on it.
0: I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Disney to just have that in the back pocket, but.
1: Yeah, but it must have been right around the same time, uh, right, right in the early 90s.
0: Right. Uh, speaking of names no longer meaning that long drawn out thing that they used to mean, in 1994, that's when AT&T legally changed their name from the American Telephone and Telegraph Corporation to just AT&T Corp. Yep. Or corporation. Yeah. I mean, the corporation stays the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it was just AT&T. So now it's kind of like
0: (laughs) as telegraphs were no longer a thing.
1: Kind of like when you uh, look at certain names that used to mean one thing. Now it's just the initials. So you might ask, like, what does AMC mean? And it used to mean American movie classics. Now it's just AMC. That's just the name. Mm -hmm. So same sort of thing. So moving up to 1995, that's when AT&T restructures into three separate companies. So one of them is AT&T. That's the services company. It's the the one that we all know and, and are familiar with. The second one becomes Lucent Technologies. Now, that is a products and systems company. Uh, it's really kind of a, a manufacturing company for certain types of electronics and the third is a computer company that returns to the NCR name. You know, they purchased NCR just a few years earlier. And Lucent and NCR eventually both spin off as their own companies uh, the following year. And in fact, we got a little bit more we want to say about the following year. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. You've probably tried Hulu.com. Now with Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite shows anytime, anywhere. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit TV shows in the selection of acclaimed movies on your television or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. And it all streams in HD for the best viewing experience. With Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite current TV shows like Saturday Night Live, South Park... Supernatural, you can also check out exclusive content including Hulu originals like The Awesome starring SNL Seth Meyers and Moonboy starring Chris O'Dowd from Bridesmaids. Hulu Plus also offers a great selection of acclaimed films. For only $7.99 a month, you can stream as many TV shows and movies as you want wherever you want. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus free for two weeks when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech. That's a special offer for our listeners. Make sure you use HuluPlus.com forward slash tech so you get the extended free trial and they know that we sent you. Go to HuluPlus.com forward slash tech now. One show that I recommend checking out, at least the first season anyway, is Heroes. It was one of those takes on television of creating a, a superhero show uh, if superheroes were somehow grounded in our real world. And, uh, that first season has a lot going for it that I really enjoyed. And, uh, that's something that I will watch, you know, I'll just do a marathon session, sit down and just watch episode after episode. And, uh, it really becomes a challenge to figure out when I'm going to turn it off, which is a great problem to have. Go check it out. Alright, so it's back to 1996. That's when the, uh, Telecommunications Act of 1996 becomes law. You know, I was gonna make a joke about how they wanted to call the Telecommunications Act of 1996 the Telecommunications Act of 1995, but it published in 1996 and they thought it would confuse everyone, but then I realized I made that joke in the last episode.
0: Well good. I'm glad that you're <laughs> growing as a host.
1: Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I, it doesn't stop me from making jokes. It just, it just, it just, <laughs> just prompts me to explain why I'm making the same joke twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm a I'm lame. It's okay. I, I've dealt with it.
0: Okay, so this so this act was an FCC attempt to to regulate the industry to promote greater competition.
1: Right. Yeah. Again, it was again. Uh, I mean, was, another like, one. Yeah, yeah. Because again, it was it was a growing industry. This is another example of how technology evolves faster than the legal system can necessarily handle. So we get these big leaps in technology relatively speaking and then the legal system says you know this has outgrown the parameters for what we had envisioned because the technology can do more than what we what it used to be able to. Uh
0: do. right previously you know uh cable and telephones and data had all been very separate and this brought them all under one umbrella.
1: Right so similar to how we see cable companies that do both the Transmission of data and they provide some of that data as in they create content. That would also become a, a, you know, another challenge that, that we're still struggling with today. Because, you know, it's, it's getting very messy. If one person owns all the roads, but allows everybody to play on those roads, net neutrality is maintained and everyone's happy. But if everyone owns all the roads and also owns a lot of the buses that go on those roads and then decides to let those buses get the express lane and everyone else gets the slow lane, that's when you start getting into problems. So the Telecommunications Act of 1996 was sort of a predecessor to some of the, uh, the acts and some of the proposed legislation that would follow to try and maintain that neutrality. Um, and of course that, like I said, that's a battle that's still ongoing mm-hmm. to this day. Absolutely. Uh, 1998, that's when AT&T signs a merger agreement with TCI, which was a cable company.
0: Yeah. They were also working at the time on converting their entire network from analog to digital data delivery. So yeah.
1: And 1999, if you remember from our last podcast, this is actually when that final electromechanical switch was switched over to computerized right. switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I bet there was a big ceremony. Uh, I hope that electromechanical switch is enjoying retirement. But (laughs) AT&T also went back to the consumer local telephone business because it introduced a residential service in New York. So, first time AT and T gets into the local telephone service since it had divested itself of those regional Bell companies back
0: in 1982. Yeah. Right? Um, they also completed that merger with TCI and started looking to acquire a second cable company called Media One.
1: Yeah, they're really serious about it now. And they also rolled out the largest DSL initiative in the industry for broadband customers. Uh, I was never a DSL customer. I, I was always a, a cable modem customer, but I've got a lot of friends who use DSL for both, uh, f- voice and data. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was a big deal back then.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, well, at, at the time, long distance revenue was decreasing for AT&T at a rate of about 20% each year due to these, these changes in the way that the world was working and the yeah. way that people were accessing information and in telecommunications. And, uh, so, you know, they were, Although they, they were working and they had spent some hundred billion dollars on acquiring these cable TV companies, they were still pretty dependent on long distance as, as a profit. And right. so they were kind of they were kind of scared.
1: Yeah, they had to look at other means of generating revenue because with the the threat to long distance looming and getting getting worse each year, they knew that if they were to have any viability as a as a any type of company, let alone a major, enormous company. They had to get into new types of business. And uh, so, it was, you know, terror is a great motivator, as it turns <laughs> out. Uh, and they they really doubled down on the broadband approach, and it ended up paying off big time. Also in that year, in 1999, AT&T started research into something, one of my favorite subjects because it's so crazy and wonky Quantum computing. Ooh. Yeah, so they're all you know, over at uh, AT&T wow. Labs looking into quantum computers. Uh, we've mentioned quantum computers in e- earlier episodes of Tech Stuff, but just to let you guys know, they are crazy, y'all. So your basic computer relies on binary uh, computer language, which are zeros and ones. Your quantum computer relies on – those are also known as bits. The quantum computer relies on qubits. Now, a qubit, theoretically – um actually I guess really cuz there have been quantum computers built mm-hmm. they just don't last very long a qubit can act in superposition meaning that it's both 0 and 1 and all values in between
0: at the same time simultaneously
1: mm-hmm. yeah so theoretically, you can use a significantly powerful quantum computer. It has to have a certain number of qubits for this to be viable. But you can use a, a powerful quantum computer to solve certain types of problems much more quickly than you would with a classical computer. Not all problems would be great in a quantum computer, but if it's a problem, for example, trying to figure out which two enormous prime numbers were multiplied together to get this particular product, a quantum computer could do that way faster than a classical computer. A classical computer might take hundreds of years to solve a particularly difficult problem. A quantum computer might do it in, a, in an hour. Uh, and It's all because it's able to solve – I'm oversimplifying – but it's able to solve multiple versions of the, the problem all at the same time and then assign probabilities to which one is the correct answer. So AT&T was looking into that as early as 1999. So 2000 uh, – All right, well, now they've got the acquisitions of TCI and MediaOne, which makes AT&T the largest cable company in the United States. Um, The service is called AT&T Broadband, and AT&T itself reorganizes again into three major companies. So you've got AT&T, AT&T Wireless, and AT&T Broadband. And uh, that's also the year when data traffic overtakes voice traffic on the AT&T network for the first time. Um, not surprising, but uh, I'm, I'm sure now there's way more data than voice I, I, It has to be overwhelming at this point,
0: even though these these acquisitions of TCI Media One were really terrific for AT&T and moving them in in a direction that the company thought was going to be really great. They, they'd spent over a 100 billion on those acquisitions and they'd kind of gone into debt in order to do so. Um, you know, the the company was in a little bit of trouble and they were hoping by by Separating out into these three separate services that they were going to be able to isolate that debt and also, you know, hopefully raise some funds on the stock market, which the folks running the stock market kind of picked up on. They, they, they sort of saw through this clever plan and, um, and the company would wind up losing another hundred billion in market value over the next couple of years. Ouch. Um, so, so the company was not doing, I mean, it was moving in interesting ways. And I think that, you know, Doing clever stuff. Right.
1: But in the long term, the moves they made were were good choices. But in the short term, it meant that they suffered quite a bit because, you know, we were we've talked about how AT&T, it was built on the foundation of long distance telephone service. When that stops becoming a way of generating significant revenue, it doesn't necessarily matter if your company has diversified uh, if everyone still identifies your company as being a long, ser- long distance service provider.
0: Uh, right. Also, you know, up, up until that point, they had been they'd been depending on long distance profits to drive the company. But but long distance was losing revenue um, at a rate of 20 percent each year.
1: Yeah. So it was obvious that they had to start really investigating other opportunities. So this broadband opportunity was a chance for them to kind of, uh, really shift major gears in what their company is all about and remain a viable company. Cause I mean, you know, fear is a great motivator as it turns <laughs> out. If you're scared, then you, you're willing to try some, some pretty, uh, pretty radical things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, they really went in broadband and it turns out that it wasn't, you know, It wasn't a bad idea. In fact, 2000 also was the year when AT&T saw more data traffic than voice traffic on their network. It was the first time that had ever happened. I wouldn't be surprised if that is, you know, obviously multiplied many times now, because look at the enormous amount of data that transfers through. Whether yeah,
0: and your calls aren't usually taking up quite as much as yeah. like YouTube would. Right, or something, video, you know? and yeah. you've got,
1: you've got file transfers. I mean, that, that takes up a lot of, of space. So I'm sure that, uh, that might have even been the last year that they saw, you know, or maybe 1999 was the last year they saw voice traffic being greater than data traffic would uh, not be surprised. 2001, however, that's when AT&T Wireless becomes an independent company. It spins off from AT&T. Uh
0: It's a it's initial public offering uh which, you know, is is stock market terms for for going public and yeah. selling shares. It's
1: like a debutante ball for stock.
0: <laughs> like that. It was the largest IPO in American history at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, big deal. And uh also that was the year when Comcast offered to acquire AT&T Broadband. And AT&T said, you know what? We will accept your kind offer, sir. Thank you.
0: Um, all, all of this hullabaloo over, over, you know, kind of diverging and, and trying to split stuff up and manage their debt didn't prevent innovation later that year. Um, their customer service system, How May I Help You? Ah, yes. debuted.
1: Again, which, more natural language, more
0: natural language stuff, which I think is probably the point that they were trying to come to with all of these previous natural language related. I mean, I mean maybe not the specific point, but they were like, yeah. hey, you know, what would be really useful for this um, it was an
1: excellent application. Customer yeah. Service. So, yeah, the idea is that when you call in, you get a uh, automated response. So it's not an actual, quote, real human being on the other end, Uh end quote. It's rather a kind of robot. But they try and have as realistic a synthetic voice as possible. And the goal is to allow the, the customer to use whatever language that he or she needs to express the problem they're having. And then it can respond to that. So instead of having you wait through a menu where, you know, for telephone service, press one, for a cable, press two. Right. You know, that kind of thing. You would just say, you
0: can hypothetically just talk to the robot and
1: it could just be things like, uh, uh, you know, when I call, usually it's early in the morning. So it's things like cable down, fix now. Fire bad.
0: Personally, I I kind of miss the days when I could just punch buttons and not have to pretend to talk to a robot. I I sort of get angry when I have to talk to robots. I wind up yelling at them.
1: The fact that we're able to get Lauren in in front of a microphone at all is a a miracle every week. Uh, Mostly involves plying her with chocolate.
0: Are you suggesting that you are a robot?
1: Uh, Yeah, and so the company also launched Natural Voices, which is that synthesized voice program. So it was a combination of the natural language recognition software and this new synthesized human voice that was meant to be as close to a natural voice as possible. So it doesn't sound like you're speaking to a robot or someone who puts the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um I don't know if you've ever had one of those calls where it's like, Hello, thank you for calling the service. You know, right? Oh, yeah, Tuesday. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. So, you know, getting that to be more natural obviously creates a better customer experience for most people, I would say.
0: Of course. Uh, they were also around that time working on a bunch of um, greater, greater network related issues. Mm-hmm. In 2002, they, they they
1: rolled out. Yeah, a new optical network, which was uh yeah, the idea of the optical network was to decrease the the problems that would arise in the event of a natural disaster or a massive failure. So it's kind of a response, emergency response for an infrastructure, meaning that if there were, say, a, a hurricane hitting the eastern seaboard and the phone lines went down, this would help them respond faster to get that repaired and return service, which is obviously important for any kind of emergency situation. Uh, so very important. And then uh, work. They also worked to branch out as an enterprise networking company. Uh, before they had really been marketing their, their electronics and computer services to the average consumer. Now they were thinking, you know, there's huge uh, market in the enterprise world where we can, we can market directly to other large companies and say, let us handle these systems for you. We know what we're doing. We're experts in this field and give us money. <laughs> That's the end of that sentence. But yeah, 2003. Uh, they rolled out the Voice Tone product, which allowed customers to speak with computers using natural language. So very similar to the May I Help You. Uh, but this time, this was a product that you could get if you were an enterprise, for example, and you needed to have that same sort of capability. So something that had been developed for in-house AT&T use, or at least within their customer service department. Became now, a saleable product. Yeah, it's an actual product uh always a good idea if you are able to create a you know a usable system for that that's modular that other people can use uh, in their own networks uh 2004 they introduced voice over internet protocol or voip for customers uh this obviously is allowing you to make voice phone calls over internet protocol so it's using that same packet switching kind of software that uh th- at your regular internet traffic uses but for voice tra- uh voice communication um, I had friends who had VoIP call uh, like telephones yeah. VoIP telephones which were you now the idea was that you know using the data service was sometimes uh, a, a cheaper alternative to using voice service uh, like regular voice lines the there are or at least there were some drawbacks with VoIP phones especially early days uh, involved like if you were to dial in 911. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily know to route that call to the closest, uh, center center because sure. yeah, cause it, it would be over internet protocol, not so over be going the phone lines. Through, right. Yeah. Like I might make a the call. The closest
0: on, one to the server. Yeah, or I might, yeah. I might
1: make a call in Atlanta and get Tucson, which mm-hmm. isn't terribly helpful if my house is on fire. Unless my house happens to be in Tucson, in which case I don't know why I'm in Atlanta making that call. But <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. But you know, you know, stranger things. Um, Also in 2004, uh, a company acquired AT&T Wireless.
0: Uh, That would be Singular, which was owned by a little company called SBC, which is going to become extremely important in the next year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why don't we just go ahead to 2005? So SBC. All right, SBC. Now, this is one of those companies, again, that had named itself after its initials. So Originally, SBC stood for something, not just not just those letters, right?
0: Yeah, that would be Southwestern Bell Company, Wh- a.k.a. it was one of the baby bells that split off way back in 1982. It started out as the smallest baby bell, but um, but under the lead of a man named Ed Whitaker, who, who had been working for Southwestern Bell all his life um through through a whole lot of, of very savvy machinations of his to bring the company into all of this data and cable and et cetera stuff that at and t was was trying now to I get into
1: some very wise acquisitions,
0: yeah, and some very wise other baby bell acquisitions, yeah, meaning that had become the largest baby Bell.
1: yeah, that nineteen eighty two decision that was handed down to divest a t and t of all these properties. Uh, you know, the intent was to try and break up these monopolies. SBC had been growing year over year and acquiring some of those Bell operating carriers. Uh, so the, while it avoided a monopoly with AT&T at that moment, it kind of ended up sort of creating at least a, if not a monopoly, an, a mega company in SBC. And then in 2005, SBC, you know, plays the trump card by acquiring AT&T. So the, the uh, sub-company has now become the parent company, although they then chose to change their name to AT&T.
0: <laughs> right. Um, and this was only a $16 billion transaction, and I mean, I... I feel very silly saying only next to 16 billion, yeah. but considering what AT&T had been worth in the past, that was a pittance. I mean, this, this was an indicator of how poorly the company was doing at the time.
1: By the way, if you feel that I am worth only 16 billion, I'll take it right now <laughs> and do whatever podcast or not do whatever podcast you want me to. Me um, too. Me too. Yeah, all right. So that's, that's, uh, in fact, you know what? I'm generous. You get two for one, eight billion a piece. All right. So, uh, (laughs) one of AT&T's former regional carriers acquired AT&T. That's the story here. It reunites those companies. So now we've got long distance and regional reunited formally. Uh, Keeping in mind, AT&T had already gotten into uh, regional calls again, starting with that New York market. Right. And, uh, SBC is now AT&T incorporated. And the company owns around 11 of the 24 Bell System companies. Now, keep in mind, those regional operating carriers were kind of representative of larger buckets of companies. So 24 total uh, out of the, you know, that fell within the seven regional ones. Uh, AT&T now has 11 of those 24 backs. So it's not as big as it was before the judgment was handed down uh, in that 1982 case. But it's it's big. It's big again.
0: It's very big. It actually
1: kind of amazes me. I I didn't come across anything I didn't really dig deep enough, I think. But I didn't come across any news items about whether or not there was there were any alarms raised over the fact that SBC, a former, you know, part of AT&T was now going to acquire AT&T and therefore partially negate this judgment. I didn't see anything. But then I would imagine there had to have been some.
0: some... I, I imagine that they had their eye on the situation. And I mean, they, they can't not have. I mean, the federal government is is all up in AT&T's fries. Yeah. So. And,
1: yeah. And especially recently. I mean, it it's but it's kind of funny because we've had this story multiple times. We've done three podcasts about AT&T and the story of AT&T getting really big and the government, stepping in and saying, hey, let's take a look at this, guys, has happened several times already uh don't know when we 're going to learn that lesson i guess oh. well anyway let's let's move on to two thousand and seven
0: well okay one uh, wh- one more important point for two thousand and five, oh, which sure. is going to lead directly into two thousand and seven is that around this time Steve Jobs began working with Singular. Which again um,
1: was part of SBC. Was part of
0: SBC to develop the iPhone and features specifically for it.
1: Right, and um, uh, and that that agreement included a five year exclusivity agreement, meaning that Singular would be the only carrier to carry the iPhone for five years.
0: Right, and and uh, in, in addition to that, like roughly ten percent of iPhone sales in stores, a slice of Apple's iTunes revenue, mm-hmm. um, and, and this was all for the development money that Singular. Labs was providing and also um, for a for a new a new feature called visual voicemail, mm-hmm. um, which would become the consternation of many human people right. <laughs> several years later um, and, uh, and and a revenue sharing agreement that would work out to about 10 bucks a month for every iPhone customers AT&T. Or singular at that time, Bill.
1: Right. So then SBC acquires AT&T. SBC becomes AT&T Incorporated, which means that the singular becomes AT&T mm-hmm. essentially again. So uh, that means that the iPhone in 2007, when it premieres and blows everybody away, Steve Jobs up there on that stage and mm-hmm. showing off this gorgeous device that everyone didn't know they needed. And now we're convinced that absolutely they needed this right now. Gosh, darn it. Um, would go exclusively in the United States to AT&T, which was a a huge boon for them. I mean, that, that, it was, you know, it's hard to really put into, into words how influential the iPhone has been. Because even if you don't own an iPhone, if you own a smartphone, the iPhone has influenced that design, obviously. I mean, a lot of the design elements that you see, while they may not be a, you, you know, you might not say, oh, they copied Apple. Maybe they went very much out of their way to not copy Apple, but that means that Apple influenced them.
0: Oh, sure, sure.
1: It's, so it's pretty amazing stuff. And of course, uh, I mean, I remember the, the craze that went out when the iPhone came out. Me, I was like, eh, I'm going to wait a few more months because Android's coming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I did. I, I waited it out and got myself an Android phone. Uh, my wife has an iPhone and we fight. That's a different <laughs> podcast.
0: Um, 2007 was also the year that AT&T announced that that wireless services were going to be the main focus of the company. And I mean, that was kind of obvious following their huge investment of the in the iPhone.
1: In hindsight, we can definitely say it's obvious. But keep in mind that before the iPhone uh, and Mm -hmm. while wireless was definitely becoming important because everyone was adopting cell phones. Mm -hmm. Smartphones had not really taken off in the United States in the consumer market at all. And
0: no one could have predicted how big they would become so shortly.
1: So that that was a very wise kind of move on their part. It mm-hmm. you know some people might say it was a little late on their part, but I think considering well, that you there was no way of knowing at that time what was going to happen. It sure. was it was the right move.
0: And and you know they they would spend 70 billion on acquiring Spectrum and on building out wireless networks in the next 3 years alone. So they were pretty serious about it.
1: Yeah, although if you lived in New York or San Francisco, you had a lot to say about that AT&T service in those early days of the iPhone. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I don't live there, but since we work in technology and a lot of our peers work in San Francisco or New York, we were bombarded <laughs> with complaints.
0: Heard heard a bunch about that one. Um, also in 2007, as a side note, Ed Whitaker announced his retirement from AT&T. He would go on to um, basically turn General General Motor Company around from its bankruptcy in 2009.
1: I always find it very admirable to see people who are just Incredible leaders move Mm -hmm. on from one position to another, not even necessarily for for profit, but because they like the challenge of taking a company that's struggling, perhaps, or maybe just not performing up to expectations and really turning it around. I always find those stories interesting. And especially
0: I kind of I kind of want to look more into into this into this dude because he was. um uh, you know, he started as an industrial engineer yeah. and and worked in engineering before he moved all the way up through the company to become its its CEO. That's and also
1: a, a phenomenal story, because what we again, we hear all those stories about people who just come out of business schools and go into leadership roles without having actually worked in the uh, the rank and file of mm-hmm. various companies. It's always fun to have. Maybe we'll put that Ed yeah. down as a potential person to cover in, in a future episode. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Alright, so 2007, we've got that, uh, AT&T with the iPhone. They have the exclusivity deal, which would not last, uh, five years. Like it wouldn't be 2012 before, uh, the iPhone was available on other carriers in the United States. It would actually be 2011. Do you have anything between 20, uh, no, 2007 and 2011? I do not. Alright, so, uh, nothing happened in 2008, <laughs> 9, or 10. The
0: universe ceased to exist yeah, briefly. We,
1: we all just took a break, you know, we were all, you know, we were watching television or something. 2011 rolls around and AT&T's exclusive hold on the iPhone in the United States ends. Uh, and also AT&T makes a move to acquire a rival cellular company.
0: T-Mobile. Yeah, and that Oof. one in fact would get the strong attention of the FCC.
1: Yeah, and the Department of Justice as it turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I remember hearing about that and immediately my response was Please no. No,
0: no, no, never. Why?
1: Because AT&T and T-Mobile, while, you know, AT&T is the second largest cellular service company in the United States, the first being Verizon. The third is Sprint and the fourth is T-Mobile. Now, AT&T and T-Mobile, both work on the same general technology for cellular service, whereas Verizon and Sprint work on the other one. So the one that AT&T and T-Mobile uses is the one that most of the world uses. And I thought, well, that means that while it looks like your choice is only going down fr- uh, from one in four to one in three for the major carriers, keep in mind they are smaller carriers of in the course. U.S. When the major carriers, your choices go down from one in four to one in three, in effect, it really meant that if you wanted that particular type of technology where you could theoretically be able to use your phone in other parts of the world, depending on how your plan worked that out, um, you only had one choice if AT&T were to acquire T-Mobile, at least one major choice that had a lot of support in the United States. So I was very much against it. I was not the only one. No. There were lots of uh, people w- that were just leading the charge against this potential merger, uh, AT&T and T-Mobile would meet with the United States government multiple times to kind of give testimony as to why they thought this was a great idea. AT&T claimed that this would create thousands of new jobs, whereas the company, the organizations and parts of the government that were uh, opposed to this said exactly the opposite, that it was right. going to end up eliminating jobs um particularly in in various uh, regions of the United States where they had major operating centers that they were afraid would shut down as a result of this mm-hmm. this merger so yeah it was a big deal um the approximately 39 billion dollar deal uh sprint launched a project called no takeover so sprint huh, wow. sprints like you know guys I know we're not directly involved in this merger, but we would be directly affected by it. So that's why they launched a a a campaign to raise awareness and to to get some more traction against the move. And the U.S. Department of Justice and the FCC opposed the deal. AT&T would eventually withdraw the deal right around the end of 2011, the beginning of 2012. And uh the Department of Justice actually said we feel the combination of AT&T and T-Mobile would result in tens of millions of consumers facing higher prices, fewer choices and low quality products for wireless services which uh I think in the tech biz we call a sick burn. Huh. Uh yeah, so the the merger does not go through. It it falls through. Now this was a big deal because we also were talking about uh T-Mobile's parent company in Dire Financial Straits. And so, uh, but T-Mobile was operating independently pretty much already at that point anyway. It was just a question of who was going to buy it up or was it going to just continue to be, um, uh, you know, sort of a self-sustaining entity. In 2012, uh, AT&T gets sued again by the United States Department of Justice. The Department of Justice alleged that the carrier intentionally neglected to authenticate users of the IP relay service. That's a tool that was used by, or it is used by people who have hearing impairment. Uh, the way it works is they can type in messages and a communications assistant reads the message out loud to a caller. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a, a service so that someone who might be deaf or unable to communicate in a way that, that most people could understand could contact a, a middle person who would relay yeah. the information. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with this approach was that scammers were starting to use it as a means of of getting
0: getting around um, right laws that
1: that would prevent them. Like they would end up like, let's say you, you've heard, of course, of the Nigerian scam, mm-hmm. the idea of you know, this person who is has shares your last name, but does not have a direct relation to you, has died. And there's all this money that I want to get out of the country. Uh, and just for a small cut of the money. Uh, I will let you have the lion's share of it. I just need, you know, $10,000. I, I just need you
0: to transfer it, but yeah. but but put forth a little bit first. Yeah, yeah. so
1: that I can I can do this. You know, it's all a scam, right? So uh, it turns out scammers were using the, the IP relay service to try and target people. And so the FCC uh, and the DOJ both had kind of what AT&T said were conflicting um, directives. Because ah. the FCC said... If you're a carrier, you have to support this service because otherwise you are not servicing the hearing impaired community. Mm -hmm. The Department of Justice said you have to verify the identity of the people who want to use the service so that you aren't allowing uh, scam artists to target uh, victims. Right. And AT&T said, what are we supposed to do? We're stuck in between these two directives where we have to give this, but we also have to do that. And Department of Justice was saying, saying essentially, we don't buy it. You just have to figure out a way to verify yeah, this. Work identity. it out, your
0: AT&T. Yeah, you
1: got to you got to have a verification system. Mm-hmm. Um, and from one, I haven't seen any resolution to that. So I don't know that that particular case may still be ongoing as of the recording of this podcast, uh, if it has resolved I could not find any information. That's one of the problems of following up on uh, on reporting about <laughs> these about particular things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll you'll hear about it when the the lawsuit is leveled, but then. But there's not a lot of follow-up. Yeah,
0: resolutions to lawsuits are occasionally considered less (laughs) newsworthy than the lawsuits. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh,
1: that same year in 2012, AT&T, uh, made a, a $126.4 billion in revenues. Oof. That's according to their 2012 financial report, which I looked up just before we came in here. Uh, that was a 2.4% growth over 2011 revenues. And in that same report, uh, AT&T VP of Consumer Product Planning and Research said that AT&T was looking at mobile payments, as in using your smartphone as your payment way. Like if you go to a restaurant, you tap your smartphone against that, yeah, yeah. you know, that whole NFC wallet kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's great. I I really look forward to the uh, to being able to use my smartphone to pay for stuff as long as it's secure. But the biggest issue I have is, I mean, beyond security, which clearly that needs to be number one. But number two is. My concern that there are all these different systems that are being proposed that different companies are behind, like Google has Google Wallet, AT&T has this other one, and then you've got these other companies that are looking at it too. If all of them are using proprietary language for their systems, that means that the merchants have to choose which system are they going to support. Because, you know, I doubt that most of them are gonna have some sort of multiple support that would be expensive for them to be part of all these different programs. So a merchant has to make a a, kind of a a decision, like which one is likely to be the most popular, that's the one I'm going to support, which means that as a consumer, your choices are limited. You may have no choice at all. You may have to use a specific type of phone if you want to take advantage of that kind of service. I don't like that. Uh, I like it when everybody is Uh using using the same basic set of language so that the merchant can have a single... Device yeah. and no matter what phone you use, you can use it as long as it's compatible with that device.
0: I think that most, um, app creators these days realize the efficiency, the, the, the profit in making things available to multiple platforms. Yeah. So, yeah, or, or I guess multiple, um, devices.
1: Right, right. Yeah. It's just, it's tough when the, the service provider is also the one who creates the hardware as is the case yes. well AT&T does not directly create the hardware but they create a layer of firmware and software that that hardware carries sure so it it definitely again uh, it's it, something to watch we'll see yeah, what happens maybe in maybe. a few maybe in a few years the department of justice will step in <laughs> and say hey <laughs> I know that we keep talking to you guys. <laughs> and I'm really sorry I didn't bring this up last time, but we didn't know that it existed then. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see if that happens. But, um, there's also some other interesting stuff mentioned in that report that AT&T is working on. Stuff that I find really exciting. Again, the whole proprietary network stuff is a, it could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still exciting technologies like vehicle to vehicle communications. AT&T labs are looking into that. Vehicle to road communications. Uh, we've talked about that on tech stuff. We've talked about it on forward thinking. We, sure. you know, the idea of having these communicating vehicles and communicating infrastructure.
0: Yeah. AT&T is actually working with several auto manufacturers from yep. uh, Tesla to BMW, Nissan and Ford, um, to, to provide that internet internet connectivity to new autom- automobiles.
1: Yeah, which is fantastic. I mean, when you think about it, that means that cars can communicate with one another. Traffic can smooth out over time. You can have uh, that sort of collision detection technology built in there. In other words, you, you can make driving safer, uh, slightly more automated, not to the point where the car is taking over for you, but right. the car at least is able to alert you to things that otherwise you would not know or even help uh, the the. The infrastructure, the traffic infrastructure respond to dynamic changes. So.
0: Or to, you know, just get, just get the music that you want to listen to from Pandora or Spotify or something like that to play in your car.
1: What I want, I want them to develop a technology where when my car pulls up next to another car and I can see that the driver in that other car is really rocking out to something, but I can't hear it. I can find out what music they're listening to and then listen to that myself just to find out, you know, is that really worth it? They just could, get, could I rock out that? They would hard? just they would just get J-pop for me all the time, as you have uh, revealed to everybody on forward thinking.
0: <laughs> Speaking of forward thinking, if you are interested in um uh, automated automobiles, uh, yeah, we just did another episode on that, so that should be coming out soon.
1: Yeah, so definitely go uh, check out that podcast. We have a lot of fun on that show. So you know, if you enjoy tech stuff, I'm sure you would love forward thinking.
0: Yeah. Um. So does that bring us up to 2013?
1: It does. Yeah, so that's when AT&T announced it would acquire Leap Wireless for 1.2 billion dollars. Uh it's also when Uverse, which is AT&T's broadband television and internet service, had its first billion dollar revenue month. A billion Oof, dollars in, in one month. month. Okay. I think I think in 2012 they made 10 billion dollars over the course of the year. So 1 billion dollar month that that was that's huge growth. That's that's pretty yeah. enormous, you know. Um, that's exciting for AT&T.
0: Yeah. Uh, AT&T is currently, because we are recording this podcast in October of 2013, they are currently the second largest wireless provider after Verizon. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: according to Forbes, uh, one of AT&T's growing businesses is in providing data plans for tablet owners.
0: Right. Right. Uh,
1: which is, you know, that's, they're just seeing that more and more tablet owners are, are subscribing to these, these data plans through AT&T. Which is both good news and bad news. It's good news because it's a growing industry. It's a growing business and it's a growing market. The bad news is it's not as profitable as some of their other businesses. So while it's growing, it's not creating the same revenue generation as some of their other businesses.
0: And that's also partially due to the fact that smaller wireless companies like T-Mobile and Sprint are providing really steep competition through price competitions. That remind me, competition through competitions. Yes, that was very competitive pricing I mean, it's it's the kind of price wars that remind me of that long distance 1990s. Exactly.
1: Like, like AT&T had a quick, uh, uh, head start with the iPhone and iPad stuff. Uh, and then, uh, now the other companies, in order to make up for that, that head start, have offered really competitive pricing, which means AT&T uh, either it has to follow suit, or find some other way of making their service so uh, attractive that the the higher price is it feels uh, worthwhile to the consumer.
0: Right. Um, also, just this month, the FCC adopted an agreement between AT T, Dish Network Corporation, and a bunch of other smaller wireless companies to help regulate more wireless bandwidths. And that's because AT&T currently owns a band of frequencies in, in a, one of those powerful signal, like 700 megahertz kind of, kind of bands. And their, their concession to this plan will let smaller local providers get better access to the, to the band, which should encourage manufacturers to make and sell more phones for that range and also give customers more options, and which wireless provider to adopt.
1: Gotcha. So AT&T owns a band that's adjacent to this other one, and it's sort of an interoperability kind of approach.
0: Absolutely. Ah. And, and and Dish Network is related to that because they, they are also trying to um, decrease the strength of the signal that they are using in order to allow other carriers to horn in on it here and there. So, mm. I mean, this could be a deal that could work out really well for everyone. And I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the company has been around for more than a century. It has had uh, an incredible story. Uh, we've only just touched on it. I mean, obviously, we gave kind of a, a, a high level glance year by year. But there are a lot of different individual stories in here that we could touch on, including things like, you know, talking more about Shockley and his contributions and the the controversy around him or uh, Whitaker and mm-hmm. and his story. Yeah. So, you know, we'll probably do more episodes that are related to this. Uh, after we, you know, cover other topics, obviously.
0: Sure. If anything really piqued your interest, let us know about that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Let us know if anything in here, you know, you say I want to know more about that. Maybe you've always wanted to know a much more technical explanation of how cellular phones work and those cellular towers and the handshakes, and maybe you want to uh, inspire both Lauren and myself with fear that we have to cover it <laughs> in an intelligent. <laughs> (laughs) way. If that's the case or you just have some other topic you think we should cover, let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on the social networks that we inhabit. That would include Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. Our handle at all three of those is techstuff HSW. And Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.